Before I start, those of you who are in person today, uh, there is a copy of uh, my outline, the teaching back there. It's yeah. uh, titled Choose Joy. And there is another uh, couple of sheets uh, stapled together that is the book of Philippians. And that's just an outline that I want to encourage you to use in the weeks ahead. We're going to talk this morning about joy. Just give a few minutes for people to gather. Um, I, I always think it's helpful, whatever we're studying, to, to look up some definitions. And I like to use Webster's uh, Dictionary. It's, uh, it's refreshing to read the, the way things are defined in his Dictionary 1828, I believe. A lot of the times they give uh, biblical references to the words that they are defining. So it's it's kind of encouraging to me to read that. So at the top of your outline, I have a few definitions. There's a lot of words that are kind of connected with joy. Joy is listed in Galatians as a fruit of the Spirit. Love, then joy. So um, as we saints, you are saints. Holy ones called by God. Uh, our uh, the working of the Holy Spirit in our life is inward to outward. So this joy that we have in our heart, it, the Spirit is working in us, and that is then showing in out, outward in our actions, in our words, in our thoughts. Uh, and uh, so that's kind of how we, we need to think about this fruit of the Spirit. Joy is a deep feeling or condition of happiness or contentment. And then another one that I found is joy is a delight of the mind from the consideration of the present or assured approaching possession of good. So I'm assured of something good. And so I have a delight in my mind. Wow. Rejoice. To experience joy and gladness in a high degree. To exalt. We rejoice in the Lord. We exult in the Lord. Oh, contentment. Con to be content. Arresting, and that's a noun. Arresting or satisfaction of mind without disquiet. Oh, gratification. To be content satisfied to the point where I am not disturbed or uneasy, regardless of the circumstances. Rest or quietness of mind in the present condition. Satisfaction, which holds the mind in peace. Can you relate to any of these? Maybe, maybe you've dealt with them like once in the past week, or if you're like me, maybe, maybe not even once. So... God always is working in whoever is teaching more than anyone who's listening. So you can be assured of that. Gratitude is a, not, is a noun. An emotion of the heart, excited by a favor or benefit received. A sentiment of kindness or goodwill towards a benefactor. Thankfulness. 
Gratitude is a virtue of highest excellence, as it implies a feeling and generous heart and a proper sense of duty. It's a lot of words, but uh, read them throughout the week and chew them over what they what they mean. And then happiness. We often get happiness mixed up with joy and gratitude and contentment. Happiness is the agreeable sensation that spring from the enjoyment of good, the state of being in which desires are gratified by the enjoyment of pleasure without pain. This next statement is so important. Happiness is comparative. And what that means is happiness is directly to related to what I perceive to be an absence of pain. So if, I, if I'm not feeling pain, if things around me are going pretty well, I'm happy. But the minute something comes in, the happiness factor goes down. So happiness is definitely related to circumstances. Joy, not so much. Joy is that state of delight of mind because we know that there is something good, whether we see it or not yet. So where we're going to go with this? This morning, we're going to take some time. I'm going to work you hard this morning. Mm -hmm. And so what that's going to mean is you're, you're going to have to focus. Um, our life is so distracted that uh, focus is difficult. Focus is difficult for me. Even when I'm trying to focus, I have a difficult. So when I'm not, it's even worse. So we are going to read through the book of Philippians. There's four chapters. Philippians is a letter. And we know it as we call it the Paul's epistle to the Philippians. But essentially, Paul wrote a letter to his friends in this city of Philippi. And Philippi was located in Macedonia. Uh, the backstory to this group of friends, to this group of believers of what Paul calls saints, is that is in Acts chapter 16. So Acts is a really good uh, way of determining what's happening when throughout the New Testament. Uh, so go back to Acts 16 sometime this week and read the backstory. Read the story about how Paul got to Philippi and what happened to him there. But now it's 10 years later, and he is writing a letter to dear friends. And he's writing this letter because he's very thankful for them. He's expressing joy and gratitude to them because they have given him financial gifts over much time and because they have sent him someone from their congregation to help take care of him, Epaphroditus. So, um, but as Paul does, he, he's going to address some issues that he is aware of that are happening in the church of Philippi. Paul is in Rome. He is under house arrest. Um, he is waiting, awaiting trial. So, if he is found guilty by Caesar, he will be declared an enemy of Rome, and off goes his head. So can you imagine how he must be feeling? But he is pressing on. 
he has letters to write, and this is one of them. So as we read, I have, I have several helpers here who are going to help us read. And you, if you would follow along in your, in your Bible or on your device, or just close your eyes and listen, whichever way you uh, hear best. Um, when the letter is written, uh, it's, I can imagine they gathered as a group, saints, and they sat down and maybe several of them took turns reading. What do you think? It's possible. And they listened to the words Paul had said. Can you imagine how excited they were to get that letter? I mean, here is um, Paul who has been so instrumental in their their gathering, in their group, in their lives, such an encourager. What's he got to say? What, what does he think about these things? So first of all, I think they read through a whole letter. And this seems like a daunting task, but the reality of it, it's going to take us between 15 and 18 minutes. I don't know about you, but when I check my email in the morning, I'm, I'm doing that for a lot longer than 18 minutes. So just encourage you to quiet your heart and mind as we listen to Paul's words. And then I'll circle back and we'll talk about how joy is such a part of this letter. Okay, ladies. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, for whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am but here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or truth, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, 
but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if there is any affliction and compassion, make my joy complete by being the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intended on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as light in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to be glory, because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out, as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and the service of your faith, I rejoice and shall share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may encourage, be encouraged when I learned of your condition. For I have no one else of kinder spirit who will generally be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. 
but you know as his proven word that he served with me in the furtherness of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send Epiphanes, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and a minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him, and not only and and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent. Him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may, may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what's deficient in your service to me. Philippians 3. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those manipulators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I can gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that no, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess the perfection of which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many 
whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see my joy and crown. In this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and of anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. 
Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for these words from the pen and the heart and the mind of Paul and from your Holy Spirit. We thank you that uh, the words are not old, they're not past, they're not old-fashioned. They are for today, they are for our hearts and our world and our thoughts and our mind. Lord God, teach us today. Teach us how to be joyful, how to rejoice in the midst of situations that are not always what we would prefer. To acknowledge that we are simply passing through this world. Lord God, this is not our home. We are headed for heaven. And Father, I thank you that you are leading us there every step of the way. Father God, guide and direct our thoughts in the moments ahead. Help us to make observations of, of things in this letter that apply to our own personal heart and life. And Lord, we want to give you all the glory and honor. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. The theme of Paul's letter was joy, was filled with joy, a deep feeling of happiness and contentment and thankfulness, specifically the joy of serving Christ. If you go back and look through this, uh, this letter, read it again through the coming week, the word Jesus Christ is written about 18 times. Uh, joy and rejoice are noted 14 times. Depending on the version you're reading, that, that's kind of where you will be. So those are, when we see a word repeated like that, we know that it is important. Pay attention. Uh, listen to what they are saying. The tone of the letter reflects Paul's gratitude toward the Philippians and his joy for the Lord. Now, as we think back and make some observations of what we've, what we've heard, what we've read, uh, just a little bit of background. As I mentioned, Paul was on, in house arrest in Rome at this time. And during this time of his arrest, he wrote four letters. He wrote Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon at this time. So you can imagine him sitting there. He had rented quarters. Uh, people were taking care of him. There was a guard there with him all the time. And it's very doubtful that Paul was discussing the weather with the guard. We can uh, be assured that that guard was well aware of Jesus Christ, of who he was and how much he loved him. Paul took advantage of every situation. There are four Ps that I want to, the letter P like Paul, that I want us to look at as we observe, make observations in, in this letter that is written. The first one in uh, chapter one is perspective. Our perspective of life is what brings us joy. How do you see your life? 
Do you see it as a drudgery? Uh, do you see it as a disappointment? Uh, do you see it as an opportunity? Is, do you look at it from a temporal view, from this time on earth, or do you look at it with an eternal view in mind? We're headed for heaven. Paul identifies himself and Timothy as bondservants, doulos. And in this, uh, in, in his writing, doulos, there, it's sort of used metaphorically to describe those who are used by Christ in extending and advancing his cause among men. We'll see it again in the next chapter where, where it is referred to Jesus. Paul expresses gratitude for these Philippian believers who have graciously participated in the gospel. Their constant witness, their concern for the gospel, his prayer for the saints in verses 8 through 11 of chapter 1. I just That's one of my favorite prayers that I pray for many of you and for other people God brings to my mind. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Sometimes we don't know what to pray for ourselves or for other people. And we can use, Paul has four prayers in his letters, this is one of them. And we can use those to pray when we don't know how to pray. I, I can imagine what I think is the right way to pray. I can imagine that I know the answer to someone's problem, but do I really? What is God doing in their life? What is God doing in my husband's life? What is God doing in my children's life? What is happening in my church? How do I pray? Use, use this as Paul used it when he, as he prayed for his Philippian saints. Paul praises God rejoicing that regardless of circumstances, Christ is being proclaimed. There are people who are speaking differently than Paul would have them speak. Uh, they are... Um, Speaking out of selfishness, they want to they they want to harm him. They don't mean well for him. But in all things, he says, "You know what? Christ is being preached. Wow! Let's keep doing it. Let's keep doing it. Let's not get uh, get caught up in in entangled up in in the issues. Let's let's keep the gospel in front of us." In verse twenty one, he says. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That verse is uh, kind of close to my heart. I feel like, given different uh, challenges that I have uh, dealt with in my life, and I see others around me dealing with, 
I need to really wrestle with that verse. Why am I here? Who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? For me to live as Christ, to die as gain. I encourage you to wrestle with that in your heart because there's always stuff, always, always. But God uses stuff and opportunity and difficult people and difficult situations for his honor and glory, for my good. Can you find joy in the opportunities God sets before you to proclaim and live for Christ? For it has been granted for Christ's sake, this is verse 29, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake. Did you know that? It's been granted to you. That's a gift, to suffer for the Lord. Doesn't always feel like a gift, does it? Are you living today with heaven in view? Are you leveraging your life, all of your life, for king and kingdom? Leveraging is a word that's, that's used in terms of finances sometimes, influence. So what it means is we are using the opportunities that God gives us to honor and glorify him. We're using everything we have. Um, we might not think it's very much, but it's enough. It's enough. So we can use whatever God has given us for king and kingdom, for the furtherance of that. That's what it means to live for eternity. In uh, Luke chapter 19, there's a parable that Jesus told about the minas. I think I'm saying that correctly. And it talks about investing our lives or gifts in the kingdom. And there is reward according to the, uh, the outcome of that investment. How are you investing? How are you investing? Chapter 2, the, word, the P word there is pattern. It gives us a pattern for the Christian life. That pattern results in joy. And it is based on humility. Philippians chapter 2, just picking out of verses 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a slave. And there's that word again, doulos, a bondservant. The bondservant was the lowest servant possible. They had no rights and no voice. They lived for their master, to do the master's bidding. And that's the word that is used for Jesus, who is our pattern, who is our example of how we should live. Are we willing to relinquish our rights? We live in a society that's quite full of, we're quite full of ourselves sometimes. I'm quite full of myself. Our self-righteousness, our riches, our recognition, our reputation. Jesus did. He gave up all of that for us. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's from Mark 10, 45. Verse 1 through 4 lays out God's provision given to each believer and and the responsibilities involved. Paul is urging 
the Philippians to be united, to be united in love, to regard others as more important than ourselves. Uh, as I was studying this week, I, I really wrestled with this because uh, things happened around me. Life didn't unfold like I thought it should. Others needed attention. So it was a, a struggle to consider others as more important than myself. My agenda seems pretty important sometimes. But uh, that is not how God calls us to uh, live in humility with each other. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus is our model for the mindset we should embrace in our service to others. And of course, we know that God rejoiced in Jesus. We know the verse which, which states, Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. God has placed Jesus in this position of ultimate authority. And, and he is exalted. But here on earth, his example his sacrifice for us was one of total humility. He emptied himself. He was God. He emptied himself for us. The extension of Christ in the life of the believer, verses 12 through 18, applying our salvation in day-to-day -day living will result in, in joy. Verse 14 says, and I had to read this to myself several times. Do all things. It doesn't say just this or just that. It says all things without grumbling and disputing. Wow. You have to uh, review that often. And then he finishes that chapter with um, a reminder of the servants, Timothy, Epaphroditus, who work alongside of him and how they did that. Um, he assures the Philippians that Epaphroditus has recovered from his illness that, and, and thanks his friends for sending them, uh, him such a comfort. And he will send, them back, send Epaphroditus back to them. Chapter three, the P word is prize. There's a different kind of prize for the Christian life. And what is the joy of this prize? When we think of, of prizes on earth, um, they're temporary. Philippians 3, 8 through 14, picking out a few portions. Yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings conform to his death in order to attain to the resurrection of the death of the dead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ. There is a prize, ladies. We need to keep our eyes on that. Are we focused on the eternal or on the temporal? In the midst of our daily life and struggles, it's very easy to get caught up in the muck and the mire that we see around us. That is not the prize. 
Do we long for the intimacy and emulation of Christ? Do we have our sight on the prize? Matthew 6, uh, 19 through 21 talks about not storing up treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15, build our foundation. Talks about building a house. Build our foundation on Christ. 1 Corinthians 9, running the race in such a way as to win the prize. I don't know about you, but my greatest desire is to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Chapter 4, peace. There is a different kind of peace in the Christian life than we see around us in the world. Peace is a state of tranquility, tranquility of mind. Um, I have always felt that the the greatest oh I don't I don't want to call it a thing, but in my life is to have peace. If I have peace, if I have tranquility of mind, I feel like I can handle anything, and that only comes through Jesus. I can't manufacture it. Rejoice in the Lord, be anxious for nothing, but in prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. The peace of God will guard your hearts and mind. Where are we to put our minds? Whatever is true, noble, just, pure, lovely, a good report, virtue, praiseworthy, meditate on these things, the things you learned, received, heard, and saw do and the god of peace will be with you if you notice in those verses he's there they're what they call bookended so he starts with the peace of god and he ends with the god of peace so he just turned those words around do we rejoice in the lord do we exalt in god are we praying regularly when anxiety approaches we will feel anxious for sure we will. Are we filling our minds and meditating on the good things? Especially in our homes. It's very easy as a wife to feel that our, my, <laughs> my job is to get it all straight for my husband. To watch that he's doing it right. Because after all, I want the best for him. I really do. But that is not doesn't allow me peace, does not allow me to meditate on the good things. Are we doing what we learn, received, heard, and saw? People have poured into our lives. I think of the testimony of Christown. Many women over the years have poured into your lives, into my life. Are we, are we emulating? Are we learning? Are we receiving? And then are we, are we passing it along? Are we making disciples who make disciples? That's our job. Let's give peace an opportunity to flourish in our lives. Can you imagine what a testimony that will be? I think of that often as we, I mean, we see the world in chaos around us, which Scripture tells us will happen. 
what an example, what a testimony, the peace of God's people. Seeing women who are sober-minded, who love their husbands, love their children, who continue to do the things God calls them to do, who prays for friends, who invest their lives in, in others around them. What a testimony that is. And there is great joy to be had in that. In Matthew 5, we see the Beatitudes. Christ teaching, Christ upside down world, I like to call it, because it's, you know, who, whoever says those who mourn are comforted and those who, uh, who are persecuted, are, that, that's an upside down type of a way of looking at it. But it is Jesus' world. That is how he wants us to be. It is the kingdom. And he wants us to teach each other everything that he has commanded us. Do you know what God's commanded you? I want to say, ladies, in the days ahead, as you teach your children and grandchildren, we need to know what God is saying. We need to be perfectly clear what the word of God says. Don't, let, don't forget that. That is very, very, very important. He's with us to the end of the age. And we don't get panicked. We're not panicked. We're peaceful. Peace I leave with you. Do not let yourself be fearful. Christ himself is our peace. Paul finishes the letter with another expression of joy in verse 18 and 19. I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God, and my God will supply all of your needs according to the riches in Christ Jesus. Paul is in prison. He says he has everything he needs. Wow. We need to also uh, learn to be satisfied. This, uh, Paul uses the word I learned twice in those verses. So it wasn't a natural response for him. I learned to be satisfied. Whether I'm full or whether I'm empty, whether things are going my way or whether they're falling apart, I have learned. So it's a learned behavior. And I believe um, God would say to us, to us ladies, we can learn that behavior as well. I just want to thank you this morning for joining me on the journey of joy through the book of Philippians. It's a lot to absorb. I want to challenge you. I'm going to give you two challenges today. The first one is in the next week to read through, as we did this morning, the book of Philippians twice at least. The more you read it, the more you'll, you'll remember and it'll, and it'll become part of you. And the more you'll see as you read it. And then at the close of each day, I want you to think of at least three things for which you are grateful. We need to be a people of gratitude. We have blessing upon blessing in our lives. Um, 
sometime at the end of the day, I'm ruffled, really ruffled. And <laughs> I, I need to take the opportunity to slow down and look and remember, remember those places where God has blessed me and others have been a blessing to me. We are essentially spiritual beings. And each today that is received with gratitude from God's hand contributes to our preparation for our glorious and eternal destiny in his presence. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. From 1 Thessalonians 5. To give thanks is to remember the spiritual and material blessings we have received and to be content with what our loving Lord provides, even when it does not correspond with what we had in mind. A biblical understanding of contentment leads to a sense of competency in Christ. Contentment is not the fulfillment of what we want, but the realization of how much we already possess in Christ. So as we sit around the tables later after the break, um, there's some questions for discussion. I encourage you to share with each other your journeys of joy, contentment, gratitude, and your struggles, because um, in this life we will, we will continue to... Uh, to come along, to, to grow from the inside out, to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. But we, we, we have struggles. We need to hold each other up. As Paul was doing when he wrote this letter to these incredible saints, holy people set apart for God in Philippi. So as we share at uh, Christown and... Um, our, our struggles, our questions, our journey. Uh, trust that God is working. Let's close in prayer. Father God, you are Lord of Lords and King of Kings. We thank you that in your great wisdom, you laid your word before us. You gave uh, so many authors of the Bible, of the books of the Bible, your words to write down. So that today and tomorrow and yesterday, people can enjoy and understand and learn what you have to say. These are your words, and they never, ever return void. So, Father, we thank you for that. 